And of course, uh, very nice to be here after a couple of months because the rains retreat. And uh, in Ajahn Brahm's monastery in particular, they don't, for during the rains retreat, the monks stay in the monastery and they don't go out to do teaching. The only time they do, you can't, you can't avoid it, funerals. <laughs> and and uh, I think in some cases when people are very sick, uh, you know, and uh, then they can go and give them some support. So this is, uh, you know, what the practice that they have there. And it's very good because the rains retreat is a period of focusing on developing the mind, cultivating the mind in meditation and also through our study and for through our reflection, through our contemplation. It's a very important period of time. For each and every one of us, we have to take a break. I was talking to Judy before. <laughs> and it's all our lives, even my life, believe it or not, is quite busy. But we need to take breaks. And of course, this will be the blessing when the meditation centre at Newbury Buddhist Monastery is open. People will be able to take those breaks. We should be able to do it at home. But when you're doing it at home, meditating, practising at home, suddenly you think, oh yeah, this needs cleaning. Oh, I should do that. That needs fixing. Somebody rings. Oh, the dog needs feeding, etc., <laughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera. When you go to uh, a meditation centre, someplace it's not your home, to do a retreat, of course it's completely different. The hands are off the steering wheel. You're just a passenger. And that's a very, uh, very good thing to encourage the practice and to take that break. We all deserve the break and life will not get, usually it won't get less busy. I've got bad news for you. <laughs> Getting things out of the way doesn't really end busyness. I can assure you it seems to increase it <laughs> as you deal with things, new things come. But I was just going to mention too today that I'll be dedicating the merit at the end of the, this talk to my father who passed away um, in 1991 and uh, he would have been 99 today. So we can, all of us at the end of the talk, when I do the idang no nyati nang hontu sukita hontu nyateyo, dedicate merit to those relatives and friends who've passed away. And they'll always be, this is a teaching really. So this passing away. So I'm going to start this talk in a somewhat unusual way. And I'd like people to, I'd ask people this question, have you ever had to get up in the morning? You've got a, an appointment, something that's happening that you've got to get up early for, and you go to bed, you think, well, I've got to get up early. You set the alarm, and lo and behold, before the alarm rings, you're awake a minute or so before. Anybody had this experience? You put your hands up. I have. Really, some people haven't had that experience. It's really quite extraordinary. And... Uh, I, um, I th this is tying into the talk, actually. It's, uh, is, um, what does it tell us about the mind? You know, how does the mind do that? How does the mind keep track of the time? We're the body's asleep, isn't it? The body's asleep. And the mind is still ticking over and keeping track of, of the time. And then at the right moment, it wakes us up. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I think many, many people have that experience too. You can't rely on it. I would suggest still setting the alarm, actually. 
But it's worth him pondering this and thinking, you know, what is, what is the, the message in this? What's the important, uh, important point in this? And, of course, what it, what it shows you, or shows me anyway, is the power of the mind. The power of the mind, that it can keep track of things, uh, even when, as we say, we're out of it. We're sleeping. But the next question is, are we controlling it? I would say not really. I would say the mind is doing its thing, but it is um, open to uh, suggestion. And this is what is working, really, because we feel, oh, this is important. I've got to get up this time. And so the mind takes it on board, and that happens um, without us really pushing the mind. It's not like we're... Sometimes we do wake up if we've got something early in the morning. Oh, we have got to get up earlier. <laughs> That's not it. When we go to sleep and then just wake up exactly at the right time. But not only does it show the power of the mind, and this is what I'm going to be focusing on the next bit, is the power of intention. Because there is an intention there, isn't it? There is an intention. Oh, I've got to get up in the morning uh, at this time. And... Uh, our mind is definitely influenced by our intentions. It definitely is. And if it's something really important, then the mind will make it happen. And so this talk, this is uh, focus, it brings up a phenomena that uh, in Buddhism that's quite an important aspect of practice. Always, when we hear the word intention, it should ring alarm bells because <laughs> this is in a good way, really, because intention is a very important aspect of our minds. The Buddha talked about us having um, feelings. Everybody knows about those, perceptions. And then this intentional activities, that's what I call sankhara. But it's also, other people call it, Ajahn Brahm calls it the doer and the will, the will. And the, th the last aspect of the mind is consciousnesses. These are the, the sense consciousnesses. And the sixth one is, of course, the mind consciousness, which is really uh, making sense of all the other senses, that are, all the input the mind is receiving. It's, it's giving rise to those perceptions that allow feelings to come up. And then from those feelings, of course, we get intentions, sometimes good, <laughs> sometimes not so good. So this is the important point. Intention is, of course... You know, one of the very important factors in the Noble Eightfold Path. Anybody know which factor? It's the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, Sama Sankhapa. And intention is driving our actions by body, speech, and mind too. It's driving our lives. And of course, in the Noble Eightfold Path, it's coming from right view, or some degree of right view. Um, understanding the nature of reality and then our intentions will go in a good direction. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, unless you see this in the world, people not having really a very good understanding of what the world's about, their intentions are often all over the place, sometimes good, sometimes really, you know, in a negative, uh, a negative <laughs> coming from a negative area. So in Buddhism... Where this aspect comes up of intention, particularly in relation to the uh, phenomena that I'm talking about, is through aspirations and through resolutions, uh, or sometimes they're called determinations. 
And in Pali, the Pali word for this is aditana, and in uh, Sri Lanka, <laughs> they use the Sanskrit, adhisthana, very much the same, actually. And um, there's another quality the Buddha talks about, probably more, really, than aditana and adhisthana, is chanda. And this is, uh, in this context, it's a positive quality. Both these uh, aspects of mind, uh, aditana or adhisthana and chanda that I'm talking about, they can be positive or they can be negative, actually. So, so and then what is an aditana or this resolution uh, or aspiration? Of course, it is the defini definitions are like a decision, resolution, self-determination is another way of putting it. And it's also uh, the chanda is like an impulse, excitement, intention, resolution, will, desire for, wish for, delight in. And as I say, both of those qualities can have a positive or negative takeaway. And of course, aditana, this uh, word that I just mentioned, where it occurs most in the Buddhist teaching is in the, the uh, vinaya, the monk's rules and the nun's rules, where we would t determine a robe, we mark it and say, this is my robe, my upper robe, we say it three times. And we determine lower robes, the clothing, and a few other things, a bowl. But it's also when we give our consent to some... Uh, when we can't attend the Sangha meeting, and we give our chanda, we give our um, consent to whatever's decided in the meeting. It's a bit, bit open, isn't it, really? <laughs> so that's great. But so Aditana in Buddhism is, is a bit like a vow, you could say, but it's keeping in mind something that we want to either avoid, it's if it's a negative, or something we want to develop if it's a positive. And I talk a bit about that. And it's very common before a ranged retreat for monks and nuns to make aditanas, you know, that during these uh, resolutions, these aspirations. During this ranged retreat, I will develop more meditation or I will read more suttas. I'll read one sutta a day, one teaching of the Buddha a day, something like that. And also to, uh, to bring up things we want to avoid. And I, I did, I had a, uh, I made an aditana that I will read less news <laughs> and not watch YouTube shorts, which are an absolute waste of time. <laughs> I thought, absolute waste of time. And it's remarkable because I can see it. You know, I can see the effect. I don't go there. And it's really interesting to see that. But the whole point is for it to work, isn't it? It's got to be something you think is important. <laughs> Otherwise, it won't work. It won't work. And I often say to people, you see this every year with resolutions at New Year. People say, oh, it's a good idea, isn't it? I'll, I'll give up smoking. I'll give up this. I'll give up that within a week, within a few days, sometimes hours, <laughs> they're back at it doing it because they're not wholehearted about it. It's not, that it's not so important. That thing that they were planning to give up is actually more important for them. And uh, also Ajahn Sajato, he gave a talk just before the rains retreat at Bodhnyana, Ajahn Brahm's monastery, and he mentioned uh, making resolutions too. And not only... Yes, yes, that's good. I've got a soft voice, so that's good. 
It's on the uh, device here. Everything's on the device. <laughs> so, and these resolutions or aspirations, we can make before meditations too and before important events in our lives. And I will talk, I hope I've got time to talk about how the Buddha actually uh, said we can influence, we can actually direct, we can determine our future rebirths based on this aditana, this, these aspirations and resolutions. Always there is a um, condition, <laughs> the condition being that we have good sila, we have good ethical conduct. And uh, if we're going for higher parts of the path, we have to have the conditions for that. So uh, we can have determinations to be reborn in the jhana realms, in the brahma realms, which are based on jhana. But we have to have good ethical conduct and we have to have given up, we have to have be free of lust because jhana, these brahma beings don't have temporarily they don't for a very long time actually this sort of lust there is no difference in gender in the brahma realm very interesting idea isn't it and then higher still the immaterial realms then one has to have access to the meditations that will take you to those realms immaterial attainments for us that sounds a bit far out because we live in the sense world these five senses and this is the world we live in. So the, the worlds of the mind that Ajahn Brahm talks about in the jhanas and beyond the jhanas, they seem a bit remote to us. But they're actually, you know, um, an experience that's much greater happiness and produces a lot more insight into the nature of life. And so, of course, obviously deep meditations where we try and point the mind. So I'll talk a bit about that later. And the reason I was really encouraged to give this talk was because Ajahn Sadaro gave a talk on the uh, 30th of July, just before the Vasa began, the rains retreat began, on making resolutions during the rains retreat. And he inspired a group of 40 people on Discord, well done, to uh, be interested in keeping uh, having a group that has made these resolutions, made these aspirations. And they keep in contact and, you know, check out how they're going and talking about the, the, uh, the times when they, uh, when they break their uh, aspirations or uh, they, they've done well with them, you know, and support each other. So it's a really good way to bring together a group of people because you've got to focus, you know, these anti-time. And things like, you know, sitting more often in meditation, sitting for longer periods, uh, many different things that they will have um, had re made resolutions about. And it's important for our lives. Sometimes I think our lives can be a bit aimless, our meditation can be a bit aimless. And so these resolutions give a bit of strength to the mind and a framework to the mind. And... I was going to ask you, what is the most famous resolution or aditana aspiration in Buddhism? Anyone know? Getting close. Getting close. Anybody remember when the Bodhisattva said that he would not... Sorry? Retreat? Aspiration? What? 
Exactly, that's right. Even if, he says, his blood dries up and his bones turn to dust, he won't get up. And that's a pretty amazing aspiration, isn't it? Aditana, do you think you could do it? <laughs> Many people try it, actually. Maybe they make five minutes or ten minutes. <laughs> I think even Ajahn Brahm tells a story that when he first started meditating, you know, he lit a, uh, a stick of incense like this one here, and he said, oh, you know, I, I will meditate until the incense burns right down. I won't get up, I won't change my posture, and all that. And he said he kept opening his eyes. And we thought it was a long time, and he said, opened his eyes. Oh, my goodness, it's, it's not burnt much at all. <laughs> so we like that. But... Uh, this it's very interesting. I should say with that uh, this aditana that the the Buddha made. I was searching for it in the the suttas and I can't find it. I couldn't find it, but I think it might have been what Ven the Buddha Vipassi made that determination. Because I know, for instance, the four signs that we we very famously associate with the Buddha actually relate to Vipassi, the Buddha Vipassi. And the Buddha recounts how Vipassi saw these four signs, you know, an old person, sick person, and a dead person, then a holy person. But of course, every Buddha would experience something very, very similar, and that would be the reason that they go forth. So this Anitana, I haven't found it yet, but I have to keep looking for it. I was very fascinated that I couldn't find it. And uh, it may be that it's from the uh, commentaries. But uh, just to... Uh, mention one occasion though that is in the the suttas is when all the very senior monks gathered together in this Gosinga forest on the full moon so big gathering of the monk sangha and the the venerable sariputta the senior the most uh, foremost in wisdom of the buddha's disciples said what sort of monk could illuminate really light up this Gosinga forest even though it's full moon it's pretty light already <laughs> you know so what good qualities and all these senior monks said well you know a monk that has these qualities surprise surprise they're the qualities that monk had you know when ananda talking about um, you know knowing the teachings being able to teach the teachings Venerable Mark Asipa talking about living very simply, having, you know, living in remote places and having very, very simple robes, nothing, uh, and very simple food and, and so on. And then they asked the Buddha, well, what, what's your ideal for the ideal monk? And most of the, the examples that they gave were really already arahants, <laughs> people that had accomplished the path. And the Buddha's answer is very interesting. And he says, Here, Sariputta, when a bhikkhu has returned from his arms round, after his meal, he sits down, folds his legs crosswise, sets his body erect, and establishing mindfulness in front of him, resolves. Well, that's another word for aditana, resolves. I shall not break this sitting position until through not clinging, my mind is liberated from the taints. That kind of bhikkhu, that kind of monk, could illuminate the Gossinger sala tree wood, this forest. So he, this, this uh, aspect of uh, making resolutions, making aspirations, very strong in the Buddha's teaching and very much something that gives a lot of energy. He's really encouraging um, 
uh, energy. Because this is very obvious, really, when you think about it. What are these resolutions and aspirations? They're really strong, intentional states of mind. Really strong. And as I said, they can go either way, can't they? There are plenty of people who make very negative ones. and They're quite powerful too. But there are the positive ones are what the Buddha is pract- uh, focusing on. And of course, it's aspects of our practice and our life that we're using, we're making aspirations or uh, resolutions about. And they can be, as I mentioned, things that are blocking our practice, whether it be practicing the Noble Eightfold Path, whether it's blocking our practice of meditation. But it can also be things that are, are um, that uh, enhance our practice too. So it's the positive and the negative. So we can have in mind, may my mind uh, develop more metta, may it dwell in metta, may it dwell in friendliness, kindliness, uh, kindness, caring, all these things. So it's got these two aspects to it. And you'll be very interested. Ajahn Brahm always has an interesting take on these subjects, aspirations, resolutions. He's not real keen on them, actually, because for most people, when they hear this, they think, I, me, mine, I'm doing it. And this is not very useful, actually. But anyway, I'll I'll do a survey in a minute. He calls these aspirations or resolutions programming the mind. Programming the mind. That's a very interesting one for meditation and life. Sometimes he will refer to it, particularly the Buddhist teaching, as brainwashing. (laughs) Interesting, isn't it? Now, for a quick survey, again, I'm doing surveys this morning. Would you like to raise your hands if you think your minds are programmed? Anyone think their minds are programmed? Oh, gee, there's quite a few. That's good. And uh, this is the next part of the survey. It's a thorough survey. (laughs) Please raise your hands if you think your minds have free will, that you are the ones choosing. Yes? Yes, yes, there we are. No, I think that's good. I think probably a lot more of us think that too. And it's very natural for us to feel like that, think like that, until we've really got an insight into the nature of this body and mind. But of course, you know, if we think uh, we have, we're the ones running the show, we've got free will and we're choosing, it means that we think this is us, this is me, and I can do it. And uh, that our mind, this mind belongs to me. So we've got that idea. So it's worth contemplating these things. And of course, I think you, I could ask you this, and I think most of you probably get it in one, is what do you think the Buddha would say about um, this? That do we, our, do our minds have free will uh, or are they programmed? I think. Constellation, there we are. That's good. That sounds very. That sounds very inspiring. But of course, the Buddha would say that our minds are conditioned. I don't know if he would have used the word programming. Perhaps he would have, but uh, programmed. And that it's not only the the mind that's like that. It's a body too. And uh, this body and mind are not uh, not me, not mine, not myself. You hear this all the time, and that they're a process process of cause and effect. 
And in, in Pali, they use this in Sri Lanka a lot, hetupala, you know, things arising from causes, giving rise to effects. And we have the dependent origination as a very good example of that. And if you feel like, well, it's very theoretical, I think that's fine because until we have those deep insights, until we've reached the first stage of awakening, stream entry, or as Ajahn Brahm calls it, stream winner. Quite nice, isn't it? Stream winner. I think actually stream loser, you're losing quite a few negatives. <laughs> it's quite good. Um, until, we've, uh, until we've arrived at that, we're not going to know this deeper aspect of the mind being non-self. Yes? Yes? Maybe afterwards, if you, if you wouldn't mind, and we can just, because otherwise we won't, I won't finish this talk. Probably won't anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes? Yes? No, we'd say that the idea of, uh, no, that the mind is uh, conditioned. Um, our idea of free will is conditioned too. That's conditioned by other speakers, other philosophers, etc. One of the very good points that um, Arjun Brahmali makes, you know, the idea of free will is we could do anything. But when you think about it, if we don't know about it, how could we do it? So, you know, everybody's got a, a free will. They can do anything. But if you've never heard of the Buddha's teaching, forget it. <laughs> they probably won't, won't go in that direction. And one of the very, very um, beautiful uh, similes the Buddha gives, and it's easier to relate to, actually. He says to the monks, you know, and they're at the Jetavana, the monastery that he spent most of his time at during the... He spent 23 range retreats there, they say. And uh, he said, if somebody was to come and they would take the twigs and the leaves and the branches from the trees here at the, this, this monastery and they were to burn it, would you be upset? And they said, Bhante, no, they're not us, they're not ours. And then the Buddha says, what is, what is not yours, not, not, uh, not yours, is this body and this mind. The feelings, the perceptions, the intention, we're talking about intention, and also the consciousness, they're not yours. And therefore, in the same way, you can look, and look at them like these twigs and leaves. Ajahn Brahmani's got an interesting take on it. It's like the moon. You don't think the moon is you. <laughs> it's quite an interesting one. And we're programmed by many things. I think most people are aware of the various sources of programming um, from sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And it comes, you know, from our parents and our teachers and hopefully from the Buddha's teaching. <laughs> this is a big conditioning process, a big programming process um, that it, it actually uh, influences the way we see the world and we investigate the Buddha's teachings. When, you, when we think of being programmed, it sounds like we don't investigate, but it's using the qualities of the mind. This intention is a quality of the mind. Investigation is a quality of the mind. And in the end, what is liberated? What becomes awakened? What becomes enlightened? The mind. 
This is what becomes enlightened. It becomes awakened. It's free of all the uh, negative qualities of the mind, gone for good. It understands the nature of reality. And it's, this mind is not going to take rebirth again. It's the end of the, the story. Which Some people think, oh, that sounds a bit dismal, doesn't it, really? <laughs> but I think if they, once they really... Um, really contemplate the nature of life, nature of reality, they will see that, yes, this is a very, um, this is a wonderful thing to do, actually, and something that will bring a lot of joy and happiness. And, of course, a lot of the philosophies, a lot of uh, uh, political ideologies, friends, the media, internet is a biggie these days for programming us and uh, advertising too. Sometimes people say, I'm I, I'm not influenced by advertising. They go out and buy the products <laughs> that, 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 that advertise. It works. They're not wasting their money uh, advertising, I can assure you. They're spending billions on it. So, and of course, we have you know, all that. So we see that. And how do, the more importantly, how do these resolutions work? And this is seeing the, the nature of the mind, these aspirations and resolutions. The way they work is they become the object of mindfulness. They become something that we prioritise. We think this is really important and so we can keep it in mind. And uh, it's important to our practice of the Noble Eightfold Path, to our meditation and to our lives. And then the power of, that drives this uh, aspiration comes from mindfulness. That can keep it in mind. That's my definition of mindfulness, actually, is keeping something in mind, being able to keep the breath in mind. We talked about um, uh, keeping metta in mind in the metta sutta, this mindfulness of metta, this, uh, what did it call, recollection of metta, to recall it uh, as much as possible, as often as possible. We today, and I think most of you would agree with this, there's a great power in this society, this age, this time. That power is the power of distraction. <laughs> it's enormous. I see it in myself. You see, the internet really promotes it. You, you, you've got something in mind and you're looking and you think, oh, that does look interesting. I'll just, yes, I'll just look at that. And then it goes on and on and uh, our focus gets really diluted. And the opposite of that, and you see this very much for kids, actually, the power of distraction, enormous. But this is where the power of mindfulness is so important for us to bring us back, to give us focus, to be able to keep in mind things, to give strength to the mind. So uh, with mindfulness, of course, most people are used to the idea of mindfulness as having the present moment keeping the present moment in mind. But of course, mindfulness, keeping in mind, we keep the breath in mind. That's in the present moment, that's okay. But then metta is not necessarily in the present moment. And um, also when we reflect on death, that's not necessarily about the present moment. We are incredibly forgetful and distracted at times. So this ability is really important. And it's why the Buddha says that we can never have too much mindfulness. <laughs> Other factors, like we can have very much um, samadhi, where the mind is very, very focused, very still, you can say that's too much, or too much energy is another thing too. And if we 
have this ability to keep something in mind, it really can be uh, lead to great success. And this is the essence of um, the idipadas, the four roads to success. These are usually the or four roads to power. They're the psychic powers that, uh, and these these are based on the first one in particular, uh, based on chanda, based on on intention, on desire, having that so strongly in mind that it becomes it fills the whole mind. We have samadhi based on that. Then there's an, you know it's going to be really successful. It will succeed, and a lot of a lot of uh, business people use this. I still remember um, seeing a t- listening to a talk by the the motivational speaker who Tony Robbins, yeah, the giant within. And I listened to it and I thought, gee, this is copyright infringement. This, this is the idipadas. because he's talking about you know how you build up the power of your your desire, your intention, how you build up the power of your energy, how you um, fill the mind with it, develop the mind, and then you investigate it. This is the four idipadas. I thought, when I listened to it, I thought, wow, this is the four idipadas. And uh, it will, it will lead to success because it's so total, so uh, wholehearted, because samadhi is that quality that's filling the mind with that one quality, whether it be metta, whether it be this intention, whether it be energy or, or the mind itself or investigation. So, so when we uh, keep, keep these um, aspirations, resolutions in mind, it really strengthens our minds and strengthens mindfulness. Mindfulness needs an object. And uh, this can be very helpful for us. And we can program uh, the mind by using these intentions or these um, aspirations. And we saw it, in a sense, with getting up early, you know, getting up before the alarm goes off, when we need to, when something's important. But the essence of making uh, resolutions, making aspirations, is it should be something simple, something we think is really important. And this is what drives the power of these, is is that we commit 100% to it. And we give it all we've got, and um, we don't hold back. And the power of some of the really big resolutions, like uh, you're talking about the Buddha, that he wouldn't get up until he attained Nibbana, no matter what, if his blood dries up and his bones turn to dust. That one is is the uh, aspiration or the resolution that is to put my life on the line for this. Anything that you're willing to put your life on the line for, it's got a very good chance of succeeding because you're giving your whole being, you're really saying, this is the most important thing in life. I'm going for it. And of course, uh, this is very, uh, points to the fact that often our resolutions aren't 100%. We're not giving us a hundred percent to it, uh, aspirations or resolutions. As I mentioned, New Year's resolutions—they <laughs> can be very weak. So being wholehearted is very important, and it needs to be something that's realistic. That's usually within our reach. When we think of the bodhisattva sitting under the bodhi tree, making that aspiration or resolution, quite possible. 
But for us, <laughs> it's not so possible. So something uh, realistic is very useful, and then it can be encouraging. Then we won't be disappointed. And then we won't be getting up after five minutes and thinking, isn't, isn't the, the incense already burnt down? <laughs> so it's uh, good. something realistic is good. And Anjan Brahm, within our capability, that's good. And Anjan Brahm uh, recommends that we use, say, uh, have it in mind, think it three times, just to repeat it. And did you notice what we repeated three times at the beginning of this? The three refuges? And so, there we are, just to keep it in mind. And obviously the Buddha is using, <laughs> using that to encourage our mindfulness, to, to encourage our uh, aspiration resolution. So, so repeat it three times. It can be in, um, uh, in meditation too, at the beginning of meditation, so we can make resolutions, aspirations. But the important thing is, after we've made an aspiration, not to be the backseat driver. Let the mind do the work. We're not bossing the mind around. You try bossing the mind around, it will soon revolt. It won't like it. It will rebel. Um, so this is important. We just we, uh, give trust to the mind, to the aspect of the mind. These intentions can do the work. Uh, of course, we have to do the preliminary work, you know, for, as I mentioned, if we want to particular type of rebirth, we keep it in mind, bring, bring that to mind very often, and then we have to have the supporting condition of having good ethical conduct. Um, and there are other, other requirements that the Buddha sometimes mentions. So some of these uh, uh, aspirations, just to give you an idea, can be, may my mind. We're always thinking of the mind, working with the mind. We're friendly with the mind. And we are trusting in the mind. The mind, of course, has a lot of different qualities. And some of them are good, some of them are not so good. <laughs> and we're all familiar with that. But the purpose, in this case, we're working with the good qualities. May my mind develop more friendliness. May my mind, in the meditation or in life, more kindness, more caring, more sensitivity. Um, and so this, we can use things like that. But it's very important, too, to realize that we can use this uh, quality of aspirations or resolutions for keeping the precepts. So may my mind keep the precepts, the training rules, in mind. This is really important for developing our ethical conduct because if we're not aware, if we're not mindful, <laughs> we'll just you know, break precepts or or not just be completely unaware of it until later. And think, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was a precept, wasn't it? Which is fine in a way because it's human that we'll, we won't be perfect. So this is not to give ourselves a hard time. And even in meditation, to make the aspiration during the meditation, may my mind be here and now. Be here and now. So this is, these are sorts of examples of aspirations we can use. And we can use it in daily life too. For, and for instance, for negative qualities, it's quite possible too. And one's uh, straight from the Buddha's teaching, may my mind not be excited by things that are productive, provocative, of greed or lust uh, or hate or delusion. And this may sound a bit unbelievable 
But I have used this in uh, when I was in Sri Lanka, and it was very effective. I was just amazed. I thought, what's going on here? Is it suppression? <laughs> but it did work, actually, that that negative quality in the mind didn't surface. I was really looking for it, waiting for it, and it didn't happen. So as I mentioned, this is all going to give direction to the mind. A lot of the time, our minds, as I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, can be a bit aimless. And if you want to go somewhere, if you want to go to Newbury, you have to have the intention to go there. And this is, this is like these aspirations. They give a direction to the mind. They give energy to the mind. And they can give clarity to our purpose too. So this is... Uh, very, um, very useful for us. And uh, I mentioned, I'd just like to just mention a few, uh, talk a little bit about using aspirations and resolutions for rebirth. And I've mentioned some of them, but the Buddha mentions in one sutta, um, this is called reappearance by aspiration. That's rebirth by aspiration. And he says here to the monks, he says, um, Bhikkhus, or monks, I shall teach you reappearance in accordance with one's uh, aspiration. And then he talks about the qualities that allow us to do that. This is a bigger set than I mentioned before. It's having faith, having a virtue. This is ethical conduct, ethical behaviour. And uh, it's having... Um, knowledge or, or um, we call it sutta, we're having what do they learning, having learning, understanding the teachings, understanding, reflecting on uh, life, and then having um, generosity, and the fifth one, having wisdom. That's really the understanding of the nature of reality. And he says, if we have these five qualities, then, that person, if they fix their mind on that, resolve on it, develop it, these aspirations and this abiding of that person, thus developed, cultivated, lead to reappearance there. And that's, that's quite amazing. And he talks about every possible <laughs> place you can be reborn in, according to Buddhism. But the last one is the amazing one. This is, I, I would have thought this is, this is, this is really quite extraordinary, which is that the person has the resolution that... There we are. It's gone all... Here we are. And this is the resolution that they, they have. They think, Oh, that by realising for myself with direct knowledge I might here and now enter upon and abide in the deliverance of mind and the deliverance by wisdom that are taintless with the destruction of the taints. If that doesn't mean much to you, it means when the person is uh, about to be enlightened, wanting to become awakened, and the deliverance of mind, of course, a uh, deliverance uh, of mind is being free of all those negative qualities in the mind, once and for all, gone. And the deliverance by wisdom is understanding the nature of reality. And then for that combination, those two can destroy the really deep negative qualities in the mind that keep us coming back to rebirth, you know, out of ignorance, uh, taking a new life. And then the Buddha continues, and by realising for themselves with direct knowledge, they here and now enter upon and abide in deliverance of mind 
and deliverance by wisdom that are taintless with the destruction of the taints. Monks, this person does not reappear anywhere at all. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You can make an aspiration, a resolution to go towards awakening. But you have to have all the supporting conditions. You know, and the Buddha mentions there the faith um, and the good conduct by body, speech and mind, ethical conduct. You have to have the learning and you have to have generosity. Generosity. I think I might have missed generosity. Generosity is in there and then wisdom to do that. But that shows the power of uh, the mind. And there are other other suttas, I've got three here that I really like, um, at which the Buddha talks very similarly about, for instance, giving, and this one is rebirth on account of giving. And this is a person that gives uh, something, offers something to the Sangha, and then they have in mind that, uh, uh, that at death they would like to be reborn in a particular situation, and they set their mind on that thought keep it firmly and foster it. This thought of theirs aims at what is low, <laughs> usually any rebirth the Buddha considers low, some are lower than others, and if not developed to what is higher, will lead to, lead to that person being just to such a rebirth. But, he says here, however I declare, only for the morally pure, not the immoral, for uh, this is due to their purity, that the heart's desire of the moral, morally pure succeeds. So that's, that shows you, you know, this is possible if we develop the whole practice, develop ethical conduct and develop the mind. And uh, the last one is a really extraordinary one, and this, <laughs> this I find just really amazing. And the Buddha's talking about how rebirth happens Anyone interested in how rebirth happens? I think, yes, I, w I think it's an amazing one. And the Venerable Ananda asks the, re the, the Lord Buddha, um, existence, existence, bhava, bhava, what is it? <laughs> and uh, then the Buddha says uh, that he talks about the three um, realms or the, the three areas that we can be reborn in. And the first one, of course, is the world of the five senses. And he says, well, if we didn't have a karma to be reborn in this uh, world of the five senses, would we be reborn here? Of course, the answer is no. <laughs> I think anybody would say that. And uh, then um, because what, what is uh, all the actions of body, speech and mind create the karma for us to be reborn in particular situations. And then he says, thus Ananda, for beings hindered by ignorance, not knowing, <laughs> and fettered by craving, wanting. Karma is the field, consciousness the seed, and craving the moisture for their volition and their aspiration to be established in an inferior realm. For the Buddha, this five-sense realm is inferior. <laughs> in, in this way, there is production of renewed existence, rebirth. And then he talks about the next realm, the realm above our realm, one that we can visit in meditation, which is the, the, med is the realm of the mind to do with the deep meditations, the jhana, the jhanas. And this is, and he, he says the same. He says this is a middling realm. So it's like it's better than <laughs> being born in the sense realm, 
This is the realm that we're in is for animals. Uh, animals are in it. Some of the devas are in it. Ghosts are in it. Uh, hell beings are in it. Um, but the, the, the beings, the Brahma beings, these really uh, are based on deep meditation, jhana, they're above that. And this is what he's talking about. And it's the same. He says that, again, you know, that uh, um, this is a middling realm and it's... Uh, that's right. And the last one is the third realm, is the formless realm. This is the immaterial realm. And uh, to be reborn there, we have to have the karma. We have to have the experience of meditating and accessing those experiences. And then it's possible for us to be reborn. And the Buddha describes that realm as superior. So five senses, low. <laughs> Better than that, jhana experience, the jhana rebirth. And then above that, the immaterial and these are all based on the mind. So this is very important. So I'd like to finish off with using, I think, Ajahn Sadaro's most favourite word. What is that word? Caveat. Caveat. It's exactly... <laughs> Anybody know what caveat means? Ex exception. I, I always take it as conditions. You know, conditions apply, you know, the caveat. You think, oh, this is great, this is great. And then you see the small, oh, right. <laughs> and I think just to mention, and this is why Ajahn Brahm is not particularly keen on resolutions and aspirations because most of us get the wrong end of the stick. And the end of the stick we get is, I'm doing it. It's me, it's my resolution. We're not thinking, we're not... Uh, uh, aware that it's the power of the mind that we're tapping into, not a me, an I, a me or a mind. So this is what he is talking about. And he always emphasises one of the things, one of the principal teaching is not willpower, use wisdom power. <laughs> and that's wisdom power is using resolution, aspirations, wisely understanding the nature of the mind that's not i it's not me not mine i'm tapping into this enormous power of the mind it's not me um, running the show and then it will work very well and sometimes you see a lot of these business people who are very successful and there's a lot of ego <laughs> with them for sure but the reason it does succeed still is they're keeping it in mind even though they're keeping it in mind, with a, usually with a lot of greed or maybe with a lot of sense of self, they, that ability to just keep it in mind um, is very, very, gives strength to their, or re gives uh, the possibility of realising their aspiration and their resolution. So I'd like to finish there. We're running a bit late. So there we are. So I hope that was useful for you and uh, I'll just take a few questions and then hopefully remember to do the dedication of merit for Dad and for any of your relatives who have passed away. So are there any... Ah, there we are. I think, I think this one will be a <laughs> really start people thinking. That's good. Morning, Ajahn. Morning, James. I just, with respect to developing wisdom power, you mentioned yeah. how Tony Robbins was breaching copyright on a particular <laughs> yes, aspect of the Buddhist teaching. Yeah. I was wondering, would it be possible, perhaps after the rains, if you could do a, 
a, a, a lecture on that particular sutta? Mm, yeah. Just to teach that? Yes, that's called the Idipadas, the four, the four roads or four paths to success or to power. Idi is a spiritual power, really. And many people who cultivate it, they're doing it because they want psychic power. <laughs> that's not actually something the Buddha encouraged. But it is one of the one of the things that can come as a byproduct. Oh, I see. see. So no, I wasn't thinking from the aspect of psychic power, just to have an understanding. <laughs> it's very useful in our lives, yeah. actually. But but, if, but but mindfulness is really the the most useful thing. Developing mindfulness is is really important. And of course, you know, if mindfulness becomes really still and focused, it becomes samadhi. And then, wow, it's got power. <laughs> yeah. Then it can move mountains. Yeah. And hopefully with wisdom knows where to move them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trouble. And the other point, I was just wondering um, if it would be possible perhaps to dedicate some of the merit from today to uh, the people in, uh, in the Middle East, given what's happened there overnight. Yes, in Israel there's been that terrible attack. And uh, I met a young man near at Ajahn... Um, Brahms Monastery. No, oh, all right. And he's uh, over there. Is he he's, right? he's from Israel. Israel, from right. And he's yeah. there at the moment, is he? Yeah, right? I was talking to him this morning. He said there is. Uh, right. He's uh, said there are a lot of atrocities, but he's doing his best to remain with his practice. Yeah, yeah. No, it, hopefully it will help in those really uh, mm. intense situations, crises. So yeah, no, all we right. can. Thank yeah, you. We can. Yes, of course. Yeah, somebody. Thank, oh, thank I think we have an online, and then we'll go to the next one. And we'll we'll do round robin. Thank you, Ajahn. Yeah, I Lots think this talk will be today. of interest to many people. <laughs> Hopefully, they're taking it in the right way. Are there questions from Discord? Oh yeah, Discord. Yes. Yeah. Hello. Ajahn is. I'm looking you. over there. I should look at the camera, not at the screen. <laughs> you probably think, why is he looking over that way? <laughs> go ahead. Um, Thanks, Ajahn. Uh, Luke here. Nice to see you again. Um, Hello, Luke. I was just wondering, with the well, part of the um, you mentioned about the Discord group with the Aditana that we undertook for this uh, rains retreat. Yes. One of the things I took was to really try and focus on the five precepts. But probably the most difficult thing I found is often with breaking a precept, you don't, or or keeping a precept, you don't see the immediate result. Yes. So that makes it quite challenging to let's say if I tell someone a bit of a white lie or something, it doesn't it feels to me like, oh well, you know, what what's the problem? Yeah. I haven't so yeah, I'm just uh, it's probably not so much a question, but just uh, just something I was thinking about when we were yeah. talking about that before. Oh, and that's I think it's a it's a very good good um, uh, good comment to make, you know, and I think often um, what, where we get the happiness from it is when we realise that we haven't done something that we would habitually do, but we realised because of this resolution, this aspiration, it came up in mind not to do it. And even when we, for instance, break a precept, um, just being aware of it later is a plus, you know, that, we, that in actual fact it is important to us and so this can bring some happiness when we see that, that the mind has got this power and uh, it can take us towards this very, very wholesome, uh, wholesome action of keeping the precepts, you know, the training rules. Good. 
And I think uh, another one at the back, and there we are. Oh, and I think Dr. Jaya is next, is it? Oh, we'll, is it we'll you? Oh, that's right, we go to three, YouTube. that's it, sorry. Yeah. So, so this <laughs> is a quick right. one uh, from YouTube, and it's yes. a question about uh, the rebirth of parents. Uh, Ajahn, mm. please explain more about sharing marriage with deceased parents. Mm. How or in what way does it reach them and help them and uh, whatever level of existence? Yes, yeah, no, that's a, a really good question. You know, how does uh, the, the merit that we dedicate to our parents or whoever has passed away, how does that affect their, them? Well, of course, first of all, it has to, uh, for them to benefit from it, they have to be in a situation where they need it. And hopefully, if they've lived a good life, they don't need it. But we don't know that. And so we benefit from the fact that we feel good doing that, not knowing really where they have been reborn. Though the Buddha always says that one can, to a certain extent, quite a, a large degree of have a large degree of confidence that a person that has been good in body, speech and mind during this life, developed good qualities, will be born in a good rebirth, either you know, human or higher even possible. But if they have been reborn in um, a realm like the ghost realm, and that's quite possible, and parts of only parts of the ghost realm can benefit from what is given here, the Buddha says. And then or one of the persons was asking him about this, Janasoni the Brahmin, said, well, what if I don't have any relatives there, any family, friends? And he said, impossible, impossible, Brahmin, because... Uh, samsara is incalculable. You've got family and friends there from generations, generations, for sure. So we can dedicate it. And so the point of when we dedicate merit is to be a little bit open-ended with it so that to any being that can really benefit from it. And how they benefit from it is that we usually say, you know, they would get this sort of happiness that they're being remembered if they can be aware of it. They, they get happiness and this can give them a higher rebirth because rebirth basically is determined by the states of our minds and that's how and if we can improve the state of our mind bring up some happiness uh, some joy in the mind and this can lead to a better rebirth that's how we usually explain it so very good yeah thank you it's always, there are lots of questions about that one. <laughs> How does this really work? <laughs> yes. Yes, Dr. Jill. Uh, I don't know. Yes, looking at it uh, differently. Um, the mind uh, by nature mm. uh, is susceptible for habit formation or we programming or conditioning. Yep. That is the we way are. the mind acts all the time. Mm. When there's mind activity, yep. you uh, form habits. Yep. Uh, pro we call it programming or conditioning. Unless, of course, uh, as you say, at the time of mind activity, there's uh, Ashwad, Adina, and Nisarana. Nisarana. Unless you let go, uh, if you don't let go, it becomes a habit. Yeah. So from the time we are born, uh, yep. there are two ways we can form habits. One is uh, most habits are for survival in yeah. the world. But there is another realm of habits that is based on me, mine, and myself. Mm -hmm. If you put this information into your mm. mindset mm. on the base of me, mine, and myself, it only will enhance the view of separate self, mm. which is a hindrance for liberation. Mm. 
And these are the ones that remain as cankers or defilements in, our, in us. Mm. Mm. And that is the ones, those uh, uh, keep us going through the uh, cycle of birth and rebirth. Right, yeah. um, and as Ajahn Chah says, mm. first, first get rid of the bad habits or bad cankers. Yes. Then let go of the good habits, yeah. good cankers, yeah. if you want to liberate yourself. Mm. So that is the way the mind mm. works and th that is what keeps us going in the sansara. Yes, yes. Only time these don't come into play mm. and a time of mind activity is when you are mindful, in a meditative state. Mm. These habits don't come That's into clear. play. Yeah. Otherwise, every time yeah. your mind in, in, in action, mm. this is what you are doing all the time. Yes. Good or yes. bad habits, mm. programming, yeah. conditioning, that will keep us going round and round in the sansara until we are liberated. Mm, that's very good. I think the uh, that's a good point that you made because sometimes when we hear about this idea of a non-self, that this mind and body are a process, which I spoke about, we may think, well, I think there's something here. You know, it feels like there's something here. And, of course, there is. There's a personality. There's a character. There are all these habits. And they're basically based on identification. We identify with these things being a man, being a woman, being from this culture, being from that time, um, enjoying these. And we, we talk about the four areas of attachments. These are, these are ones that really bind us. Our experience of the five senses, the things that we like, we identify with them. You know, you hang out with people who like the same food, like the same music, you know, and we, this builds up our sense of who we are. And also the Buddha mentions, you know, the self-view, um, we we are very attached to this idea of an I, me, and mind. <laughs> and this is what encourages rebirth. And we're also attached to lots and lots of views. We have views about everything. <laughs> and it's me, it's my view, absolutely. You, how dare you <laughs> disagree with my view? And the last one that the Buddha mentions is attachment to rites and observances. We get these things that we feel are so important that for us um, in our lives, you know. Uh, often it's not, not necessarily sila bata paramasa, you know, attachment to rites and rituals in the sense of um, a spiritual attachment. But in daily life we have these all these routines and um, ways that we do things that we get very attached to and we, we identify with and feel threatened if they're not possible, you know, or they're challenged, you know. So very good, very good to mention that. The question I always have is where do habits, where does personality and character develop from? And I, I mean, I feel it comes from our actions of body, speech and mind, which is karma. Um, uh, Ajahn Brahmari doesn't agree with that actually, quite interesting. He thinks it comes from sila, from our um, developing our actions of body, speech and mind in terms of sila, as he interprets sila in a broader sense to be you know, our behaviour generally. But I think it's more coming from our intentional activities of mind, things we do say and think. Seems, it seems fairly reasonable to me that that's where we possibly come yeah, it from. It starts in the mind, but then it yeah, reflects it in the body it's, and speech. Yeah, that's it. Yes, definitely. So, the next... Any I think we've got to go to the... We're doing a round of three. Yeah. I think there we are, and this person Any at the back has been waiting. Questions yeah. on Discord? Yes, there we are. All in time to yeah. finish.
They're okay. So I'm going to um, combine these two questions on YouTube. Several people are asking on YouTube about um, mm. the start of meditation and how do you set intent and a uh, related question there is mm. trying to keep um, mm. the focus at the start, uh, especially with um, mm. how to proceed because Ajahn Brahm says just focus on uh, the mm. present and let go the past and the future mm. and that leads to boredom mm. with just focusing on the present. So <laughs> it's, it's related mm. both these questions and how do you yeah. start with meditation? Yeah, I think this is, this is a very common experience people have that uh, they come into the present moment and uh, they relax the body and then they're in the present moment and they think, boring. <laughs> because we're used to so much stimulation, you know, that, that uh, the present moment, our mind's not refined enough just to be simply in the present moment and think, wow, this is, this is wonderful what's happening, you know, just sounds happening, feelings in the body. And finding that interesting or pleasant. And for us, the, ple the present moment isn't necessarily pleasant. And so, of course, this is where having an intention can be, I, I use quite a lot, have an intention to may my mind um, develop or, or, or incline towards friendliness, kindness, being very relaxed. Um, all these things, being caring, caring for the present moment. And when you have a warm feeling within the mind, a positive feeling, then the present moment becomes pleasant. And then when you're in the pleasant, present moment, <laughs> then the breath can come up. And that's pleasant. And you can go with the breathing as I teach it, you know, breathing in with that pleasant feeling, that pleasant emotion and breathing out. And then it makes it very easy and interesting, to, easier to stay with the objects. And uh, so our job really is to really find interest, find beauty in the meditation object. We can use curiosity, it's a good one, you know, inquiring, being really interested. But to be use that again and again for some uh, meditation object that we're using all the time, the breath, how curious can you get? <laughs> you know, after a time you might run out of curiosity. But if we can, as it were, um, uh, give this feeling, uh, a very positive feeling, it doesn't have to be uh, metta or friendliness, it can be compassion, kindness, depending on the state of our minds. It can be thankfulness is a fantastic one, being grateful for what we're experiencing. Um, and this gives a really very positive uh, uh, feeling to the mind and to the experience of the meditation. What that does is we can stay with the object for and be with it. And this can bring up the mind coming together. And this is when the nature of uh, the natural process of samadhi develops. Then from that, the Buddha says, this uh, joy arises, pamuja. And from that, then this rapture. This just happens. It's like an automatic process. Once we've got to the, to the threshold, then the breath is moving from a physical breath to a mental experience. It's the gladness, uh, this joy is coming up, rapture is coming up, tranquility coming up of the body and the mind, really. And because of this tranquility, it's letting go of the body and the five senses to a large extent. 
then happiness comes up, being free of the five senses, and then the mind comes together. That's a process, automatic process the Buddha talks about. And from that experience of the mind coming together, Buddha says, then we can truly see things as they are. We see in reality. Usually, we don't see reality, we see through <laughs> our negative qualities of wanting things, greed, or uh, wanting to push them away, or delusion, this is mine, this is, you know, whatever, this is um, beautiful, this is a happiness, and so forth, all these things we, we, we see in, in not, not, not in a correct way, so, so this is, um, this is possible, yeah, that's it, how to make the uh, uh, present moment pleasant, that's quite a, quite a, quite a job for us, and, uh, uh, we can get skilled at it. I think we have to finish there, actually. It's now, sorry about that, 10.51. And those that are here, um, if you're staying, please, uh, we can ask the question after the meal. There's no problem with that. And uh, I'll just do the uh, dedication of merit. Very, very short. This means this is for my relatives. It can be for friends, too. <laughs> May my relatives be happy. And I'll use the, usually we say me, uh, may, uh, mine, but we'll say, we can say no, which means we. It doesn't sound good in English, <laughs> but in Pali it means we. So, Idang no nyati nang ho tu sukita hon tu nyatayo. Idang no nyati nang ho tu sukita hon tu nyatayo. Idang no nyati nang ho tu sukita hon tu nyatayo. Sadu, sadu, sadu. So thank you for this this morning and I hope it's been interesting and it gets you thinking, contemplating the nature of the mind and the power of intention in our lives. I know one of the big phrases I hear these days, people say, I've never heard it before, recent times, you know, we need to be intentional because I think it, it is a very, very, it's a phenomenon that's happening more, we're getting more and more unintentional, <laughs> more distracted. So this is, um, you know, something we can use in a very positive way. As long as we don't grasp it from a sense of self, that is, then it's very, very useful. And then it will be good for our practice and our wisdom. So thank you very much and see you next time, next week. <laughs> Different subject. <laughs>